0: This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe.
1: Hello and and welcome to the Lung Science Podcast. My name is Dr. Stokes Peebles and I am a physician scientist at Vanderbilt University Medical Center and with today are Dr. Luke Bonser and Dr. Walter Echobar, both from the University of California, San Francisco. And uh, Dr. Bonser and Dr. Echobar are going to discuss a paper that they recently published in the American Journal of Respiratory and Molecular Cell Biology, for which they were the primary authors. And the paper is entitled, The Type 2 Asthma Mediator, IL-13, Inhibits SARS-CoV-2 Infection of the Bronchial Epithelium. And SARS-CoV-2, for those of you who may not know, is the virus that causes the illness, which we know is COVID-19. So there's no question that SARS-CoV-2 has been the dominant health issue globally over the last two years. Over a million people in the United States have died from COVID-19 over that period of time. And over the entire globe, there have been 6.3 million COVID-19 related deaths. Asthma is a very important health problem in the United States and throughout the world and this is a disease characterized by shortness of breath and wheezing. This wheezing occurs when there's turbulent airflow in the chest as a result of narrowing of the airways. And there are several mechanisms that cause airway narrowing, including constriction of the smooth muscles surrounding the airways, and also mucus in the airways produced as a result of inflammation that occurs in asthma. And we know that IL-13 is a central mediator of both the smooth muscle constriction and the mucus in the airway because a drug that targets the IL-13 receptor significantly reduces asthma symptoms. So this intersection between SARS-CoV-2 and IL-13 that Dr. Bonzer and Dr. Echelbar studied, I think is, is really fascinating. So one of the most important factors that causes asthma exacerbations is respiratory viral infections. And when SARS-CoV-2 came on the scene in the U.S. in March of 2020, asthma specialists anticipated that there would be a marked increase in the number of asthma exacerbations, but that really never materialized. And the question was why. And I think the paper from Dr. Bonzer and Dr. Eckelbar is particularly fascinating because they investigated the interaction of SARS-CoV-2 and IL-13. So Walter and Luke, what I'd like for you to do is just tell us how you decided to study the interaction between SARS-CoV-2 and IL-13. Thanks,
2: Stokes. I can go first if that's okay, Walter. So I think like you gave a good introduction there. And I think like many people during the start of the pandemic, we were kind of struck by the fact that asthma appeared to have a lower risk of acquiring or being hospitalized by SARS-CoV-2 infection. Like there were epidemiological studies that showed this, but we kind of wanted to see, was there some direct evidence? And the background, our labs got a keen focus on the effects of cytokines on the airway epithelium. So we just took kind of what we pivoted from what we were doing, which is more on asthma-based studies, and looked at the effect of IL-13, which is one of our major interests in the lab, and just looked to see what happens if we pretreat treat cells with IL-13 and then infect with SARS-CoV-2 we found really interestingly that use it. So just as a bit of background, we use a model of the airway epithelium. So cells that originate from proximal airways of either cadaveric glands or rejected lung transplant. And we grow these in a, like a 2D, 3D model air liquid interface culture. And so we pre-treated our cultures of IL-13 infected with SARS-CoV-2. And we found, interestingly, that the IL-13 pretreatment led to decreased viral RNA recovered from the cultures and also reduced double-stranded RNA as measured by immunofluorescence, which is a measure of viral replication. So we had two lines of evidence suggesting that IL-13 actually inhibited SARS-CoV-2 infection, (laughs) which is pretty striking, actually. The effects were pretty grand, as shown in the paper. We followed this up by hypothesizing that maybe, as you referred, IL-13 as as pleiotropic effects on the airway epithelium, one of which is to drive changes in mucus. And we hypothesized that maybe it was the effect of IL-13 on mucus that was leading to these changes. So we actually used CRISPR-Cas9 to target SPEDF, which is a master transcription factor for the production of MUC5AC, which is a mucin gene induced by IL-13. And what we found is that the effect of IL-13 appeared to be independent of the targeting of SPEDF. and so we still saw a reduction in SARS-CoV-2 infection in this model system, suggesting that the antiviral effects of IL-13 were actually unrelated to the effects on mucus here. I, I, I don't know if I, Walter, do you want to take um, the side on more of the transcriptional profiling and
0: yeah, sure. If we want to get into that now, or, or if we wanted to follow up, but yeah, just to build on some of the background of the lab, you know, we've been using multiple genomic technologies to investigate the, the functions of IL-13 in the context of asthma, including bulk RNA-seq and single-cell RNA sequencing in the cell culture model loop described. So we really had a very kind of thorough catalog of what the gene expressional changes were both across the uh, bulk RNA-seq and uh, cell type specific changes in ciliated cells, uh, basal cells, and secretory cells. And so we were curious of what SARS-CoV-2 associated genes from either previous studies or mechanistic studies of of COVID-19 infection and what those genes may be changing in our cell culture model in response to IL-13.
1: So. so I was really fascinated by the work with the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, that where you showed that when you knocked down Spedf, that you still saw this effect. So the mechanisms by which this seems to be occurring, going downstream of that, what, are, what do you think the mechanisms are by which IL-13 is, is regulating the airway inflammation mm-hmm. or the illness? Yeah, I
2: think that's a great question, and is really the next step I think that follows on here. So, like we explained, we we thought, oh, it must be—it's likely to have a role with goblet cell differentiation, and we can cross that off the list. So, that kind of led us to some ideas where we've got this lack of infection. So, is it really upstream? Are we pre, is il 13 doing something to the receptors, perhaps, that changes the susceptibility of the cells to infection? And we did show, like others in the literature, that there is a reduction in ACE2, for example, the, 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 the receptor that promotes SARS-CoV-2 infection. There, I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, Walter, but it was about a third or 30% decrease in ACE2 expression, which we kind of felt probably wouldn't That's account... Correct, yeah we felt wouldn't account completely for the observation we've seen. So maybe it plays a part, but we're not sure whether that would be the full story. Mm -hmm. So we also hypothesized that perhaps there, like from the double-stranded RNA staining we show in the paper, maybe there was an effect on replication of the virus also or independently. But we didn't really get into the weeds of that. But that would be one of my hypotheses would be maybe in conjunction with changes in receptor expression, there is uh, changes in molecules that are involved in viral replication or affects the viral replication post-infection. Additionally, we had uh, in another strand of the study that we showed that there were effects of mucus in unstimulated cells, right? So if we washed off, the mucus in unstimulated cultures, we got far more infection than when mucus was present, suggesting a protective effect in mucus in general too. So in that line of evidence, we were we hypothesized maybe changes in glycosylation may be important because uh, as a bit of background, mucins are highly decorated with glycan by 80% by mass. And perhaps changes in this would affect self to sars SARS-CoV-2 infection. I suppose additionally, there may be other... Um, more innate things at play. For example, in addition to mucus, the secretory cells secrete a wide range of antimicrobials that are ultimately uh, differentially expressed following IL-13 treatment. And there's even things that we never really investigated, but innate pathways such as like n- nitric oxide productions an innate immune defense system. Maybe there was a role for that if I was really hypothesizing broadly, or even there's suggestions in more recent literature that the autophagy pathway may be involved. But I have to say, I think these are really important next steps for this. I suppose uh, maybe Walter wants to comment, but the interesting thing for us from some of the transcriptomic studies that we did was that these effects of IL-13, the antiviral effects of IL-13 seem to be discrete from the effects of interferon, which is the classic antiviral response. So I don't know if you want to talk a bit to that, Walter, maybe, and how that answers Stokes' question.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the exact numbers, but we did have a markedly different response in IL-13 versus interferon in the SARS-CoV-2-associated genes. I think they were nearly mirror images of each other, essentially. Like what went up with IL-13 tended to go down with interferon, for example, Another point that is kind of related to the genomics aspect of this study was that we were really interested in the, the TEMPRS2, you know, which I think is modifying the spike protein, priming the spike protein for entry into the cells. And we saw a very strong cell type specific effect in, in its changes in expression in response to IL-13. So in, in secretory cells, it went up in expression with IL-13 but then in ciliated cells, it went down. And this kind of harmonizes with the cellular work that Luke did in showing that the SARS-CoV-2 mRNAs seem to be present in the ciliated cells. So there could be a very cell-type specific interaction going on between SARS-CoV-2 and IL-13.
1: I don't know whether in the epidemiologic studies that have shown that people have been on Dupilumab, which is now for receptor antagonists that affects IL-13 signaling, whether there's any data on that at all about whether that has any deleterious effect in asthmatics and, and, and with SARS-CoV-2 infection. I haven't seen anything about that, but it'd be interesting to for somebody who's, who looks at large databases to check that out and, and see whether that has a role or not. Where do you plan on taking this the work now? Where would you like to see this, or, or are you going on to a different line of investigation now?
2: Yeah, I, I suppose the This has opened up a series of questions, especially relating to your previous question, so about the mechanism of this. And I think there's some really interesting work to be done in terms of understanding, like you said, what is the mechanism that underlies the IL-13 effects? That currently, unfortunately, we've pivoted again away from (laughs) SARS-CoV-2 as a result of various things, including our BSL-3 colleague has, is no longer a, a here at the moment. So my uh, SARS-CoV-2 research has uh, reduced a little bit since then, and we've pivoted back to doing more of what uh, the lab was traditionally focused on, which was asthma. So I think your point about mechanism, and then a step on from that is like the therapeutic, potential therapeutic angle of this, right? So you mentioned the map. Our data would, like you kind of alluded to, suggest that maybe using a broad spectrum IL-13 antagonist or IL-13 receptor antagonist, it could be pretty handy for COVID-19. You probably wouldn't want to do that if, because we know how bad IL-13 can be for asthmatics. So it's uh, probably not the route you want to go down. So you to actually focusing in and trying to identify the actual antiviral IL-13 mediated pathways relating to the mechanism and finding pinpointing those and how they control the effects we observed in the the manuscript could suggest how we could develop new novel targeted treatments, which in the era of personalized medicine would be really interesting too. So if I was spending more time on this, I would definitely be now focusing on what the actual mechanism was and how this could potentially lead to future therapeutics, which would be Mm -hmm. handy for people, because as we know, there are still people suffering. We have new waves of COVID-19 occurring across the globe, so it's an important line of investigation.
1: Audrey, do you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I guess.
0: I, I mean, I think one thing a lot of us were considering as maybe an ideal experiment at the time would be to do some single cell RNA sequencing after IL-13 treatment and SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, Unfortunately, we didn't really get the chance to to do that. So it would be interesting to really look at how those transcriptional changes are happening in a cell type specific manner, you know, pre and post infection, even if we could include the Sorry, the SPEDF knockout to kind of isolate on a SPEDF independent mechanism at work. So, really dig into what, what the exact genetic mechanism of, of SARS CoV 2 infection and pre- prevention of replication that we saw in the study.
1: I was really gratified by your paper in some respects because we published a paper about 15 years ago now where we were looking at RSV infection, and we found that IL-13 protected against uh, RSV-induced illness, actually. We used uh, IL-13 knockout mice. We used a soluble IL-13 receptor. We used IL-13 overexpressing mice. In each of those three models, when we Infected mice with IL13, the the mice that were not which IL13 was antagonized, got much worse, and their viral loads were worse too. And so yeah, we we sent this paper or this manuscript to the red journal where your paper was uh, paper was published, and it was immediately rejected. It wasn't even sent out for review. <laughs> We were, we were happy to get it in microbes and infection later on, but, but I was really excited to see your paper because of the fact that it, it corresponded with, with what we had found. Obviously, it's a completely different virus. It is a respiratory virus, but a completely different virus. But it was, we similarly found that IL-13 seemed to protect against a viral infection, which is completely the opposite you know, of the, of the current dogma.
2: Yeah, I think that in itself is a really interesting thing to explore in the future as well, right? There's now several lines of evidence that show antiviral effects of IL-13, which, like you said, is like it's paradigm shifting in a way. And that itself would lend itself to a further investigation, too. And could be really interesting, like evolutionary, Why? why would one evolve these pathways in conjunction, like the the typical understanding of IL-13 and type two inflammation is for helminth protection, right? So why would we want this alongside that? Co-infection perhaps, but I think there's that evolutionary element of why we have this type two inflammation could be a really interesting line of investigation also.
1: Walter, any last words?
0: Oh, not exactly, but yeah, I I also just, want to echo that, yeah, I'm fascinated with this evolutionary story as well. Like, why do we involve things that can be potentially deleterious, like, you know, IL-13 induced asthma? And I think the answer is clearly something, it does something of benefit. And so it's important to, to when you're treating asthma, to understand what, you know, what is it supposed to be doing in a good context and not take that away while also treating asthma.
1: Well, our time's about up, and I want to thank uh, Luke and Walter today, as well as all of our listeners. Uh, This episode of the Lung Science Podcast was, as always, brought to you by the American Journal of Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology. If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the podcast, please visit atsjournals.org or subscribe to the Lung Science Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a great day.